Hey friends, I'm Renee. And I'm Anna. And you're listening to Fangirl Happy Hour. Today on the show, we're going to talk about some feedback and updates. Then we're going to discuss the space opera movie by Luke Besson, Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. Boo! Spoiler! Then we're going to discuss the second story from the Robots vs. Fairies anthology from Saga Press. Then we're going to talk about our dream anthologies, which more on that later. And then we're going to do some recs. I'm ready. I have so many feelings for this episode. I have a lot of feelings, too. Let's get to them. Feedback and updates. There's some stuff going on in our neck of the woods, Anna. Not on mine. Yeah. Are you really sure that the book smugglers are doing nothing right now? Right now, no. Right now, we are deep into the bowels of editing. So I'm editing a novella now for this year. After having edited a novel, we are coming up with the announcement for the Awakening season. But mostly, it has been all admin taxes, exciting stuff like that. I got accepted to a political camp called Camp Wellstone. It's in Dallas, Texas this year, and I'm going to go and be on the campaign track and learn how to run progressive campaigns, and I'm really excited about it. I'm really, really excited that I got accepted to this program. I thought it was going to be a long shot. Well, you did it. I'm so excited for you. Yeah. I'm going to take you and Jenny with me in my heart so I can travel because, listen, I have never traveled to another city by myself where I didn't know anybody there. So I'm a little bit terrified, but I still really want to go. My next news is that I'm going officially to Wisconsin this year. I have my plane ticket. I have my membership. I'm excited and ready to go. I'm probably going to be on panels this year. I know there are a few space bees out there planning to go too. If you are planning to go to Wisconsin, I would like to know about it so we could maybe meet up. And my last piece of news is my current read. I have two of them. My first is my fiction book. It's An Unkindness of Ghosts by Rivers Solomon. It is a space opera on a generation ship that is organized like the Antebellum South. It's real good so far. And then my second, my nonfiction book that I read at night is Ratfucked by a dude. I don't know his name right now. Ratfucked is really infuriating. I tried to read it last year and couldn't because I got so angry and ended up taking it back to the library. But when I took it back, I left a bookmark in it. And so when I rechecked it out this year, I was reading along and I got to the place where I left my bookmark and my bookmark was still there. What is it about this book? Ratfucked is about how the Republicans used data, analytics, and technology to run a program called RedMap, which does exactly what you think it does by the name. Everybody's a Republican. All those districts are Republican. To win elections? To what? Yeah. The way that politics in the U.S. works, we're a representative democracy. In many states, the state legislature draws the district lines. So if you go and you win a bunch of state legislature seats and you win the governorship, you can draw whatever lines you want to benefit you however you want. And it's definitely a form of gerrymandering, extreme partisan gerrymandering. 
it was really fascinating to see what they did because 2011 was a really important year because the census had been in 2010. So they had all this new data to use and they just cracked us and packed us. You can't end gerrymandering. It's not possible to end it. And I get really concerned when people are, are like, well, how are we going to end gerrymandering? Well, you can't because some parts of gerrymandering that look bad are actually part of the law because of the Voting Rights Act. Although I do think the Voting Rights Act needs to be updated. But why is it called rat fucked? A rat fuck is a dirty deed done cheap. All right. Okay. See you guys. Renee has a lot of political knowledge already and sending her to the camp will only improve the situation. This ad has been approved by Anna. Anna, what is your current read? My current read, I am finishing uh, Passing Strange for the podcast. Then I'm going to start reading Test of the Road by Rachel Hartman, which is set in the same world as Serafina, but it's a standalone novel and apparently amazing. Well, I already have another amazing book to check out, which is Jane Unlimited. Test of the Road will have to get in line. Yes, you, you really do need to read Jane Unlimited. Everybody needs to read Jane Unlimited. Well, our other updates include news about our vault episodes. I am taking them out of the regular episode rotation. They will now just be recorded whenever we have time and dropped onto Thursdays. So we're a little bit behind on vault episodes. So for the next few weeks, you may see more than one per month. We hope to eventually get ahead a little, which will probably happen sometime this summer. And then you'll see one vault episode a month, probably on like the second or third Thursday. And then the next up, reviews. It's time for me to ask you once again to go to iTunes, that abyss of algorithms, and leave us a kind review. For example, Paul left us some very nice thoughts. Paul said, Anna and Renee always sound like they have a smile on their face when they talk about things they love. Automatically puts a smile on my face. That was a really nice comment, Paul, and we really appreciate it. And everybody else, this could be you leaving us a nice comment and giving us five space bees and leaving more smiles in our faces did you know that if you smile when you talk you sound happier brains can be tricked nice Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets came out in 2017, and we meant to watch it and talk about it, but obviously 2017, and maybe that was a good thing, because 2017 was bad enough without us having to watch this movie. <laughs> Spoilers, I'm giving this film two Space Beasts. Two? Oh my god. Wow. That's really high, just so you, everybody knows. That's very high. You're taking space bees out of your ass for this because I I ain't giving no stars to this movie. And is giving it zero space bees. So up front, you know. I'm giving minus space bees. You can't give minus space bees. I am. It's like the space bees that have died. Space bees don't die. This movie deserves no space bees. They're all alive. And I disagree. That's it. That's it. That's the end of the discussion. Let's move on. It's so bad. What the fuck? It's real bad. I wanted to punch Valerian in the face from the first scene he appeared. From the first scene in which he didn't let his co-worker and partner talk or say anything without actually pushing her and manhandling her and nagging. So much nagging. Sexual harassment at your place of work. This should be shown at companies. 
HRs on how not to behave with your coworkers. <laughs> okay. I did the space bees up front because I knew that we would have this disagreement as soon as I finished the film. Because I saw your thread on Twitter when you were discussing it with folks. I was like, oh no, it's Stargate, the movie, all over again. I prefer Stargate to this movie. Oh no. I prefer the book through the eyes. Holy shit. That's a throwback. I'm going to have to drop a link in the show notes to that episode where we talked about through the eyes. Note that I'm just, I'm so happy for us to continue to talk about anything else other than Valerian the Douchebag, which should have been the name of this movie. Wow, that is some hate. Some context. I was expecting this to be kind of like Jupiter Ascending meets Fifth Element. I think we all agree that Jupiter Ascending is a very, very, very silly movie, but it's a movie with a heart. It's a movie that is entertaining. It's a book that has Cheney Tatum. It's a movie that has a lot of things going for it. It's, it's visually beautiful. It's fun. It has space bees and space werewolves slash angels with wings that fight on rollerblades. Like, how can you not enjoy the movie? And then you come to Valerian, which I just spent the whole movie wanting to punch him in the face and wanting him to die. And that, friends, is not a good relationship to have with the movie and its main characters. I hope you will all agree with me. What if they agree with me and give it to Space Beast? On what grounds are you giving to Space Beast? Are you giving Space Beast to Valerian? I hope not, because that will be the end of this podcast. No, I'm not giving Space Beast to Valerian. So I'm hoping that you're giving Space Beast to the visually beautiful movie. We'll get to it. We'll get to it, Anna, and then I'm going to put you on the spot. So the only movies by this director I have seen are The Fifth Element, Lucy, and this film. I love The Fifth Element. I thought it was beautiful and had a great theme and the characters were great and the acting was amazing. And then I saw Lucy and I was just like, mm, 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 no. So I was already dubious about this film, even though when I saw the trailers for it, I loved the aesthetic. And I was like, oh, he's gone back to space opera. Okay, maybe it'll be good. Maybe he is in his natural element and it'll be fine. Wrong. I was wrong. Maybe I would give... I don't. Mm, um, half a space. Mm, the wings of a space. One wing of a space bee. No, you can't. <laughs> a drop of honey. One drop, which is like very special honey. So one drop of honey for the opening sequence that span over centuries, and it showed humans meeting several species of aliens that came to the space station. And that was beautiful, even though like very centralized on the human shaking hands kind of greeting. I need you to name three things that were goodish about this movie. Three things. And you just named one, so you only have two left. You can do it. You told me you weren't going to do it, but guess what? You're going to do it. It was visually beautiful. One more. You can do it. Believe in the me that believes in you. I know. Clive Owen. Why Clive Owen? He used to be on my list. I had a huge thing for Clive Owen. And when I saw him, I was like, oh, hello. I mean, you did it. Congratulations. It was really hard. I'm sweating here, guys. I'm sweating. Well, I have three things. If you name Valerian, I'm telling you. Like, if you pull uh, Kylo Ren's the most interesting character for me in this. If you pull that over me again, I... I (laughs) You're real stressed. This movie made me so stressed. 
like Russell was here and I kept screaming on the television. She's like, I can't, but I kept like interrupting every 10 minutes. It's like, I, I can't, I can't watch this. I can't, I can't continue watching this. <laughs> and I would go make a cup of coffee, a cup of tea. At one point, it made chamomile tea because I was so stressed. I mean, Bridget did warn us that this movie was not good. I know. There are three things in this movie that I really, really liked. I liked all the special effects. I thought some of the special effects were amazing. And I want to see other films that, who do space movies look at the aesthetic of this film and like take some inspiration for it. For example, the marketplace at the beginning of the film was fantastic. Just the whole execution and visual of that scene when they're in the marketplace is beautiful. I thought it was really, really well done just on a technical level. My second thing is that I really liked that opening, the same one that you mentioned. I thought it was a nice way to set up this hopeful tone because we often get films where, you know, humans are prone to spreading their colonialism into space. I didn't get that vibe from this at all. It was more like welcoming cultures to form a melting pot instead of just impressing ourselves onto them. And I just wish that that first three minutes, because it made me feel so warm-hearted, had extended to the rest of the film, because it was a real hard come down from that opening. And the third thing I liked was the female characters. I liked the female characters, too. I liked Laureline, even though the narrative didn't seem to like her that much. No. They make her be in love with Valerian. Like, why would you do that with your female character? Why would you reward sexual harassment with affection? She was harassed the entire movie by that fucking entitled asshole who wasn't even beautiful, wasn't even eye candy. Can we also agree on that? I did not find this white dude attractive at all. And then there was Alex, which was their computer AI on their ship. And I wish that there had been more for Alex to do, but they didn't really spend a ton of time on their own ship. So what are you going to do? And then I really loved Bubble. Except for her arc. Yes. We'll get to it because it's spoilers. I just loved that character specifically. And I thought it was a fucking waste. Like, what would you put a character like that in your movie and then do the things that you do to that character? What is the fucking point? Because the narrative is in love with Valerian. They seem to think that he's the hero for some reason. No, the real hero of this movie is Laureline. And the movie was just very confused about its focus. It's like, this is the hero. No, movie, that's not the hero. You're wrong. I'm sorry. You are incorrect. Apparently, it's based on a comic that's called Valerian and Laureline. That's the name of the comic. Not Valerian and the City of a Thousand Fucking Planets. So she got erased from the title, too. Super. I don't understand why this dude was the fucking hero of the story. He's not likable at all. And... What do we know about this guy? He's an asshole who sexually harasses his co-workers and is way too overconfident. But some of this facade is because he really is in love with her. But because he's a guy, he, he doesn't know how to show his feelings. So the only way of doing that is harassing her. That's the beautiful message in the movie. This is not a good film. The fifth element made so long ago is better than this. If you're looking for a space movie, you can watch this, I guess. But I would really say, like... No, you can watch this. I mean, you can. No, you can't. Don't do this to yourself. Anna says you will make yourself mad. We are constantly advising people to take care of themselves and their health. Why would we say you can watch this movie? Because they can. They have personal autonomy. But I suggest just going and rewatching The Fifth Element. 
because it is vastly superior. And then if you want to make it a double feature nut, watch The Fifth Element and Jupiter Ascending back to back with some snacks. Yes, please. And then sit back, relax, and then think, thank God Renee and Nana are here for me. So we're going to talk about some spoilers now. So we're going to put them behind our spoiler tag. If you don't want to be spoiled because you plan to go watch this film, just know that Anna is very disappointed in you. But if you don't care about being spoiled, you can come with us. Fuck Valerian. I hate him. Anyway, why did they put Bubble in this film? Why would you have Rihanna in your movie and do that? Why would you have her in your movie as this awesome shape-shifting character and then murder her? No, not only that. That, for me, is not even the main problem for that. For me, the biggest problem is the visuals, too. Because, of course, Bubbles is an alien who looks like a giant blue bubble, but she assumes the figure of a black woman who is enslaved, and then she is freed by a white dude, and then she dies to protect the white dude. Like, the visuals and the problematic elements around this is just so mind-blowingly terrible and vomit-inducing. I could barely believe my eyes that this was actually happening in my stream in the year of our laws of 2018. Yeah, I mean, that was included in my statement, which was, why would you have Rihanna in your movie and do this? I thought it was just understood, because it was fucking Rihanna, and they chose this, 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 is what they chose. And you know what? It's fine, because Rihanna is a dancer, and she's not a bad actress, I don't think, if she has a good director. So, you know, whatever. But, like, everything else around... Why? 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 But this whole film is about that, right? That's the whole thing with the movie, with Valerian saving less developed races. This is, like, the really gross white savior relationship throughout this movie. And it's just, like, I don't understand how... We have this in the same year where we get Black Panther. I mean, not the same year, but you know what I mean? Like the same decade or... Because Luke Besson is not very woke. I guess we can go with a very generous reading. Listen, if you wa- did you watch Lucy? No, I did not watch Lucy. If you watch Lucy and then watch this film, Luke Besson is a racist asshole. He is a racist. Like the end. There's no way you could look at those two movies and look at some of the arcs of their of his female characters and the way he treats non-white bodies and and go, mm, no, he's fine. No, he's racist. I wrote in our show notes that you have this theme in his, like, The Fifth Element and now this, where blue ladies die to teach a really dumb dude a lesson about romantic love. So the difference between The Fifth Element and here is in The Fifth Element, it works. And here, it doesn't, because it's tangled up with immigration, colonialism, race, and all these really problematic elements that make it gross. Like, that character was powerless. And I'm really angry. Like, I'm just really fucking mad about it. That's the character that you introduce and you keep around because they're great. And you give them their own storyline and autonomy. But guess what? Luke Besson did not do that. No, even as she's dying... Her last thought is to tell Valerian to take care of the lady. What is this? And then the overall plot is that 30 years before, an entitled white dude had committed genocide on a species that had not yet developed a space exploration program. They were super advanced in other ways, but according to humans who were traveling through space and fighting a war above this planet, they didn't matter. And he ended up killing them all. And then tried to hide his mistake by deleting them from the database and putting everything under classified lockdown. So even in the future, white dudes are awful. Even when he's caught, 
He tries to murder everybody, even his allies. Quote unquote allies. Anna. I'm so mad at this character. And I knew as soon as he walked onto the fucking screen, I'm like, oh no, he's a bad guy. <laughs> I'm like, it's this asshole. And the poor guy underneath him who was like slowly uncovering the fact that he was torturing people and lying to protect his dark secret. The literally only thing that this narrative maybe did correctly was actually have the other leaders of the humans be like, this is fucking gross and you're gross and you're under arrest. <laughs> you're going to murder an entire gender non-conforming race of aliens who are awesome. Yeah, they will. I'm so mad about it. And I'm so mad. Predictably, because this is a Luke Besson film, there is a endangered pooping lizard that poops pearls. You feed it a pearl and then you hold it up and it'll swell up and start pooping pearls. They call it a converter, but it's a cute little animal. And listen, I was real sad. If I had to be sad about anything in this film. Listen, I had no emotions for this movie apart from really negative ones. I had a lot of sad emotions. I had anger. What a waste of time. It was so promising. And then the first two minutes ended. And then that was it. It was downhill from there. This would have been a great movie if they had just taken Valerian out of it. It could have been Laureline in the City of a Thousand Planets and it would have been immediately improved. Of course. She was so cool. Apart from her terrible chasing man. I was sad. I was sad. And I wanted this movie to be great because when I first saw the trailer, I was so excited. Me too. I was so excited because I kept thinking about Jupiter Ascending and I was like, oh. It's gonna be another jewel for us to find. But no, Luke Besson had a pearl and pooped shit. This year, we started a project where we read one story from the Saga Press anthology, Robots vs. Fairies. This week, we're reading Quality Time by Ken Liu, and because we're reading short fiction, these segments will probably end up being spoilery no matter what we do, so we highly recommend that you pick up the anthology. It's out now, and you can follow along with us. We'd be happy to have you. Okay, Anna, so Quality Time by Ken Liu. I really like Ken Liu's short fiction. I think it's really good. I was very confused by this story because I'm used to getting emotionally suckered punched by his work. I'm used to there being really strong emotional resonance in his work for me. And this did not have that. Uh, no. It felt like a very cynical... It's a Team Robot short story. And I'm wondering how many of those we will get in which the robots... I'm not sure what I want to say. Because I was going to say that the robots are evil. But that's not true. Because the robots were programmed by a person. A team of people with good intentions, but not well-researched knowledge before doing those particular types of robots. At one point, our main character was researching through Wikipedia and mummy blogs and listicles about the best animals in terms of parenting. So I was very confused in a way. I'm not sure what I was supposed to feel for the main character. I felt like it was a critique of letting liberal arts majors be project managers for tech projects. I didn't read it like that. 
I got a real bad vibe. Let's just put it that way. I got a bad vibe, not because she was a liberal arts major, but because she was not a very good person in the end. And not because necessarily of her major, just because of who she was. But in the end, I felt like she was rewarded for her mistakes, which was confusing again. So I'm not sure. I'm not. I'm still not sure what was the point of this story. I felt real bummed because like it's a robot story, but it ends up being about how humans fuck up when they don't consider all the different aspects of an issue. That's not a robot story to me. That robots are just sort of incidental. This is what I'm wondering about the other robot stories in the anthology and how they will come into play in the next stories. There was also this line of the narrative that I picked up where Amy, the narrator's co-worker slash friend, like the only one at work she really knows about and interacts with, is trying to warn her that she's overlooking things. And it also felt like a critique of experience. Like, when you go headlong into a new idea and you don't stop to do longer studies and look at how your idea might impact multiple vectors and you just blow it off and you don't do any follow-up, you can kind of screw things up. The fact that she ignores the experienced person and accuses her of being cynical... It kind of felt like those articles you read, oh, millennials are X and Y and Z, where they just make a bunch of like assumptions about what millennials will be like, and they don't actually ask millennials. And that's kind of the vibe I got from this story. Yeah, Amy, for me, was the most interesting character and actually kind of like maybe the sage, wise, older person who people should be really listening to. And the main character just seemed just following ill-conceived ideas even though it had a light tone and it was a very engaging, interesting and well-written story, it just felt really bleak to me. I agree. Sometimes I can enjoy bleak stories, but I just felt this one just went nowhere. And the robots are just things here. Inconvenient things that cause problems. Was it a critique of technology or was it a critique of technology used badly? I don't know, but like it was missing some heart and I feel real bad because normally I really love Ken Luce's work. Yeah, me too. Here, this just felt hopeless and bleak. We never even discussed what the story was about. So maybe listeners who haven't even read it will have no idea. So basically, it's a, it's a Silicon Valley company that hires this lady as part of their new campaign to have new employees to come up with ideas to develop technology. And basically, it's We Robot is the name of the company. And she comes up with an idea of creating a tiny robot that functions as a rat and can go to places in your house to clean, to kill pests. Basically, that's what it is. It's a servant rat. But that creates a problem. But not before it becoming a huge success. And she has to find a different idea next. And the next idea is to create a robot that will replace basically parents. (laughs) What could possibly go wrong? And they don't let her. And she does it on the down low. And it... I mean, how does that even work within a company like that? Like, surely that just doesn't work inside of Silicon Valley. I just, I can't imagine that she can just pretend to have had the approval of the owners and then being able to run with getting equipment, studies, without it getting to their attention. I just, I can't imagine that. It's even realistic. I mean, I know we're talking about a wee robot company, but still kind of some, such things need to be believable. That's like, that's a huge stretch. 
It was like one step too far for me on the believability part. Then at the end, after she basically breaks the rules, lies about having approval and lying to all her coworkers who did a bunch of work, she doesn't even get fired. She just gets moved to another team. Because her experience, this negative experience will help her be more critical of similar projects. And I guess when I say I want to read robot stories, I want to read about the robots. I don't want to read about the humans making them and fucking up their lives. I was bummed. Yeah, I was bummed too. So, so far, I guess Team Ferris is winning. Yeah, like, because we have, both have a point to give to either to Team Robot. And this time I'm not giving a point to Team Robot because I didn't like the story. Same. When I was thinking about the story after finishing it, in the first story, which was a team fairy story, the fairies have autonomy and they're active agents. But in this story, the robots aren't even sentient. They're just tools that humans use. And I guess that's true to a point, because right now we're not in an age where robots are sentient. But to me, that would sort of be the point of having a robots versus fairies anthology. It's not very fair to the robot side if the fairies get to be sentient in all their stories. And in the robot stories, they're just things. I did a thought experiment where I was like, if I was just handed a couple thousand dollars to do my own short fiction anthology, what would I make the theme of my anthology and who would I get to write for it? I gave this little thought experiment to Anna and I had us do a little project where we both sat down and made a table of contents for our dream anthology. I do dream about this sometimes, Anna, a whole lot. You know, because I tell you all the time in Slack, I just want somebody rich to give me $8,000 so I can do this. Come on, rich person, are you out there? You go first and tell me how you did this. Because I, I didn't really give us, like, strict directions. I just threw the idea out there and so we could see what we would both come up with. I went a little bit beyond just listing a few authors because I know exactly what I want them to write. Because my anthology is called Further Adventures. And it's going to feature 10 stories, uh, novelettes or novellas, because I like a little bit, like them longer. And I would commission and I would dream that there will be no money issues or no rights issues with what I would like to commission from these particular writers. Here is my table of contents for the Further Adventures anthology. First of all, I would get a sunshine story from Robin McKinney. I would get a Princess Shiri of Wakanda story from Nendi Okorafa. Then I would get a story about the Astra superheroines from Tansy Raina Roberts' uh, world that takes place in the Girl Reporter series. Then I would get a new adaptation story from Alinda Lowe. I would get a new Oxford time traveler stories from Connie Willis. I would beg and Lackey to write a Savardin, the early years short story. I would get Jane and Ivy from Jane Unlimited by Christine Cashore to go on an adventures together. I would want Zen Cho to write about the witches from Sorcerer in the Crown. 
And then I would get Kate Elliott to get me one extra little story from Spider's point of view in the Court of Fives trilogy. And then I would definitely ask N.K. Jameson to write no one and essence in their stone adventure years. So this would be my dream anthology. That is amazing! I fully appreciate that probably all of these stories exist in one shape or form in fan fiction. <laughs> Very likely, but... If I could get these authors to write all of this, I'm mostly excited about the Sunshine one. Wow, what? I would read this anthology. Would you pay for it? Yes, I would. I would pay cash money for that <laughs> anthology. I would buy the hardcover. Excellent, I'm pleased. So I'm curious about you and what you did with yours. So I sort of went a different direction where I thought about the authors who had written interesting things that I liked over the years. Predictably, I bet you can tell what theme that I would choose for my anthology. Can I? Can you? Because I'm pretty predictable, Anna. You said before. I don't know. There are so many possibilities. One of the things that I really want more of is really optimistic and hopeful stories featuring robots and artificial intelligence. Right. Okay. Cool. Hopeful is a really hard term. Because when you say you want hopeful stories, people will often give you like stories where a lot of bad things happen, but it ends hopefully. But no, I want a story that's like good all the way through, like hopeful all the way through the story where the conflict comes from not from death or dismemberment or horrible dystopias or evil politicians or whatever else that is bad, but instead from the characters trying to make the world an even better place. Especially in the future, where the robots are not evil, the AIs are not evil and going to toss you out the airlock. And I also wanted to have some like funny stories, and I wanted it to be like a really fun, exciting anthology that could you know make you feel things, but also you know kind of make you laugh. Because I think it's really hard to do comedy well. A lot of people will oftentimes go and write about dark things rather than the lighter comedic stuff because. Let's just be real. Writing about horrible things happening is kind of easier than writing comedy sometimes. Because comedy is really hard because you never know how it's going to land. It is so hard. I chose a list of authors who I think write really thoughtful things about culture and society. And I would have them uh, either write about robots or artificial intelligence. Robots can be both like robots and artificial intelligence, obviously. But I think of artificial intelligence like as a non-bodied entity, like a spaceship or a building. And then like robots with their intelligence in their body itself. Okay. So that's how I'm kind of defining my... Uh, terms here. So I know that they are often interchangeable, but in this case, when I went to plan this, I was just like, okay, somebody's going to write about one unique robot in a body, and then this other person's going to write about an artificial intelligence. So the first person I thought of who does military space opera is Karen Lowitchie, and I thought she would be perfect to do a story about AI, where the AI is a spaceship or something like that. And then we switched back to Robot, and I thought about Nisi Shaw, who wrote Everfair, which was a so- sort of steampunk, and I would love to see, like, a steampunk robot aesthetic from her. And then now we switched back to AI, and I thought, oh, okay, Martha Wells would probably do a great AI story set in the far future via a space station or a spaceship or a building on a planet. And then in an anthology I read a few years ago, Vandana Singh did 
a really great longer piece of fiction about a person going on an exploration voyage. And it was a beautiful story, and I loved it. And I loved the way they described the planet they left behind. And I thought, wow, okay. The the way that she uses language, I thought, well, what if we apply the way she describes like language and nature to robots on a planet and how those robots created their own society? The story in this anthology that I read, I can't remember the title right now, but it's really beautiful. The anthology it's in is called The Other Half of the Sky. Highly recommend it. And then back to AI, I thought, okay, Charlie Jane Andrews wrote this really great fantasy versus science fiction, nature versus tech adventure in All the Birds in the Sky. And in that, there is actually an artificial intelligence in that book. And I thought, wow, so what if Charlie Jane wrote an entire story where about an AI like that who had to hide? And what might the AI learn and go through and how might it get revealed eventually. And then switching over to robots again in Mars Evacuees by Sophia McDougall, there is a great robot. So why if you know I hired Sophia McDougall to write a whole story about a cool teacher robot. Oh my god. The adventures of a teacher robot. A day in the life. Think about it. Oh my god. It would be amazing. Switching back to AI, Ryan North. We've read Ryan's work in Squirrel Girl. Imagine what he would do with AI. If we said, okay, here, here's a space station, here's an AI, write, write something funny. <laughs> Imagine, Anna! It would be amazing. It would be so cool. And then back to robots. I really like Madeline Ashby's work. I loved VN. I would just be like, hey, robots, and let her loose, because I think that all her ideas about robots are brilliant. And then switching back to AI again, a few years ago I read a book called Forgotten Sons by Judith Tarr. It was great. There were some sentient ships in that book. Sentient ships and AI are kind of different things. But the way that she wrote about those ships in her book, I think, would lend her really well to writing a really, really cool AI story. Back to robots. If you've ever read anything by Sarah Rees Brennan, if you've ever read anything by her, you know she is amazing at deadpan snark. So I was thinking of Rogue One and the robot from that film. I would be like, okay, you have a you have a person and you have a robot and they're partners. Go. Oh my god. I pay money for it. And then we go back to AI. And this is sort of like cheating because Elliot de Bordard has been writing in her Zuya universe for ages and all of the stories are amazing. I love this universe. So I would really just want her to write me another Zuya story. I don't even care what it's about. Just in that universe, I would want her to be like, yes, please. And then back to Robots. I'd want a John Scalzi story. Of course. Of course I would. I would be like, hey, John Scalzi, uh, wrap me a robot story. Go ahead. I don't care what it's about. Be yourself. Have fun. And then AI, the last one, I would ask Aaron Bow to write me a story about an entire planet controlled by interconnected AI governments. She wrote a book called The Scorpion Rules, which was really, really good. It was amazing. Yeah, and I really liked that whole concept. So I'd be like, okay, we'll take it and take out the murderous aspects and say that society is running, like, whatever. But now they have all... And each country has, like, a centralized AI and all the AIs are friends with each other. How would that world look and what would happen? And how would those AIs interact with each other? That is how I would put my anthology together. Please, can you write it down and send it over to me? Anna, 
Listen, if you're going to write any anthology, it's going to be the one that you... No, mine's going to cost too much money because it's all based on characters that the rights probably... Like, I have a story here from Marvel. It's never going to happen. <laughs> Robbie McKinney will not have... I know all of these authors that you mentioned. You would need, like, $9,000. I'm pretty sure John Scalzi doesn't roll over for anything less than, like, $18 a word or something. Let's see. What if I do it for charity? What if I kickstarted it and do it for charity? I would love this anthology. Like, I know that dark things and dystopias and unhappy things, like, yes, they often do much better. But there definitely, I think, is a market out there. Because I know me and Anna want more stories. Oh, absolutely. We want more stories that are hopeful and optimistic. And Becky Chambers is a good example. And, like, cat pictures, please. And I just think that there's definitely a market for happier, optimistic stories. And I'm just always curious about all these anthologies coming out. And there's only ever, like, been one anthology that's been, like, marketed as optimistic. And that was Shine. It came out a few years ago. Although I've read some of the stories for, from it, and I'm just like, mm, I don't know how if I would consider this the same thing as I mean by optimistic, but okay. But like, obviously, I would just be like, okay, sorry, you can't kill anybody. <laughs> you can't kill humans, and you can't kill cats and dogs. Nobody dies. Rocks don't fall, and no one dies, which doesn't seem to be a very popular thing these days. I mean, there probably is. I just need to go out and find it, but... It's a big market out there. I love your idea. I absolutely love your anthology. I would also pay cash money for it. I, I need an angel investor to come out and just give us the money to let us do it. I want other space bees to do this as well and send their ideas to us. Pick a theme and find the authors that you would love to write a story and let us know about it. I would be fascinated to see what everybody else picks you. It's time for a recommendation. Anna, what have you loved recently? Movies, because I don't have time for books anymore. I don't remember if when I came back from New York, did I recommend Coco, the new Pixar movie? No. But since then, I have watched it again. So I've watched it twice. Wow. The new Pixar movie Coco, which is set in Mexico, written and performed by Mexican artists. And it's... Maybe my favorite Pixar movie. It's beautiful. It's fun. It's completely unlike anything the trailer wants you to think the movie is. Which is great because everything was a complete surprise. The songs are super awesome. I'm even like listening to the soundtrack of this movie. It was just made me cry so much. The two times I've seen it, I cried like a baby. But good tears. So it's really great. And the second one is Black Panther. Please go go watch it if you haven't already. It's just the best Marvel movie. It's definitely the best Marvel movie when it comes to women by a million miles. I'm in shock. I can't believe you listened to a soundtrack from a movie. Well, it's only three songs. So it's not. I'm not listening to the soundtrack. I'm listening to three songs. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I'm still going wow really that must be really good music because you don't do that that's a me thing yeah i really liked that movie i need to watch it i meant to go see it in theaters but then it left theaters really fast well we'd see in new york a couple of weeks ago i guess it didn't do as well here which is sad it's just so beautiful and it's really respectful of mexican culture too as far as i can see 
and it's not appropriate. It's just, it's just so well done. The stories, I mean, it has like the fantasy elements of it. Oh my God, it's everything. And it's all about family in the end. Oh, anyway, what is your rec? My recommendation is a book. It's called Sea of Rust and it's by C. Robert Cargill. This is a guy who worked on Doctor Strange. Which made me a little bit dubious about this book when I realized that he worked on Doctor Strange because I found Doctor Strange kind of not great. The Sea of Rust is really, really good. It has an unreliable narrator, Anna, who is a robot. What? Yes, there is an unreliable narrator who is a robot. I am um, one billion times more interested in this book right now than I was one second ago. The book is about... What happens to the world after the robots versus human war, where all the humans have died? The war is over, and now the robots, the individual bodies that have their own sentience, are at war with the AIs who help them defeat the humans, because the AIs want all the robots to conform to their, you know, one hive mind, and the robots don't want to do this. The world is like a burnt out husk because the robots poisoned it and killed all to help kill all the humans and it's really hard to survive and now the robots are running into the problem that there are not replacement parts for them. The story starts with Brittle, who is our main character, and she, because the robots adopted the gender that their owners gave them. It seems like, which I think the book goes into a little bit. It took a minute and I was a little bit really I was a little bit like, oh, you're just going to just give them pronouns and not explain it but i think the book does explain it in a okay way so brittle who is the main character is scrounging through the sea of rust which is like the midwest u.s and she basically goes around tricking other robots into giving them her parts by having them shut down so she can fix them and then she just robs them and takes all their parts what i must read this book how did you find it i must have it i just saw it on a list so it's about war, and it's about who you trust. It's about saving the world. And it's all about robots and the eyes. There are no humans in this book except in flashbacks and memories. And I really think it's really well done. Even though this guy is like obviously a screenwriter, because the book is very cinematic. I also think the narrative was really, really good. Sometimes you get screenwriters who forget that it's a book and not a screenplay. <laughs> and so the narrative doesn't really work that great. But here it really does. And I just really, really enjoyed this book. Cool. Okay. I'll definitely look it up. And like I said, unreliable narrator. You know how to get me. You know me too well. Okay, tell everybody what we're going to be talking about on our next regular episode. On our next regular episode, we'll be talking about It Takes Two to Tumble, a newish romance novel by Cat Sebastian, a third story from the Robot vs. Fairies anthology, Murmured Under the Moon by Tim Pratt, and then we will be reading the second volume of Monstrous by Marjorie M. Liu and Sana Takeda. We reached the end and nobody died apart from our souls from watching Valerian. Please just do us a favor and skip it and go rewatch Jupiter Ascending and the Fifth Element. It'll save you so much heartache. Uh, remember that if you'd like to support our show, you can follow us on Patreon. You can also support us by giving us a like on Facebook or retweeting any of our episode announcements on social media like Twitter and Tumblr. 
Ira made our show art, and our music is by Chucky Beats and Boxcat Games. Susan is our resident transcription fairy, and you can read her work at fangirlhappyhour.com. Don't forget that you can find our discussion group on Facebook. Search for Space Bee Army and request access, and one of us will come along and approve you. Very soon, I have some secret plans involving our Facebook discussion group. So if you want to be in on those secret plans, you should go join it. They are so secret, I don't even know them. Highly classified. And we'd also love if you went and left us a review on iTunes, like five Space Bees maybe. It helps other fans like us find our show. Drink some water. Find some local progressive candidates to support in the U.S. if you're a U.S. space bee. And wear sunscreen even when it's winter and cloudy because the sun is his trickster. But not as much as a trickster as Luc Besson, who basically stole our souls while tricking us into thinking this would have been a good movie. Don't fall for that trap. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for listening, space bees. See you next episode. Would you have time to read for tomorrow if you were recording tomorrow? Yeah. Of course, it would take you 20 minutes where it's taking me four hours. <laughs> Sorry. God fucking damn it. <laughs> I just shared it on my Facebook page. Thank you, Anna. You're so nice. No problem. I did my job. Your job is to send me to political camps? Yes. So that you can save the world. You're so far away from me. I can't hear you. <laughs> I pressed the mute button for some reason. I lost it, Anna. I lost it. I, could... oh, I can't. Romots? 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 <laughs> it's your turn to go first. Yeah, what the fuck is that? <laughs> I believe in you.